Welcome to the Life Coach Pod. And today we have a special guest. Yes, it's Life Coach Pod show. We have a special guest. My Sacramento bestie is joining us today, Chris Pedretti. We'll get into that in just a minute. I want to remind everybody what day it is because, yes, time is passing, whether it feels like it or not. It's a Thursday. I do badly on Thursdays. It's a, it was a rough start this morning. Something about how this week happens. Um, Thursdays are always my hardest. But it's April 9th, for those of you keeping track. And if you are on the stay-at-home calendar, that is officially March 40th. So uh, today in our time capsule moments, and Chris, I'm going to mute you just for a minute, and then I'm going to take you off mute in a second. Uh, I'm going to tell you about a couple things that are going on that I just want to draw your attention to. You always, as usual, need to do your own research on these news stories. But in terms of the time capsule, today we heard, learned that the feds are going to stop doing test COVID testing, which is significant in that in in the in a world of an ecosystem. So I'm not convinced that the feds really were pulling off a lot on the. Uh, COVID testing to begin with. I don't think it's been a real win. Nothing we can cite as something that they really had a handle on to begin with. And I know tests are still something we're struggling with and are going to be essential for us to get back to any sort of life where we can leave our homes in any way that we feel safe. But what's happening now, if you think of an ecosystem, the feds are supposed to be there as the backup, the layer that provides support in an emergency. By pulling back on at least being willing to participate in testing, it's putting a strain on the parts of the ecosystem that don't have the same resources. So it's not gonna have a major impact on major metropolitan areas like San Francisco, uh, Chicago, New York, other than they're being slammed. We're lucky in California, we all have been inside, so we are so far so good here in California, but there are whole metropolitan areas that are dealing with a lot of illness, but they have much more infrastructure to support testing it's going to really hurt and I'm very worried about are the rural areas and the areas that uh, don't have the infrastructure. I mean, where they have one ventilator. Testing is imperative. Even the difference between Santa Cruz County and Sacramento County, it's a huge difference just because of the number of the people they serve and the number of folks they can afford to employ. So I want you to follow this information on testing. It's how the testing goes will tell us how soon we're going to be able to resume any kind of life. So it's a story we need to follow, and it's a story you're going to maybe need to um, speak to your representatives about if it's something you feel strongly about. So pay attention to what's happening there. The next big story is around the, you'll hear today, there are headlines depending on which side of the political spectrum you're on, that the bill that went to the Senate today was struck down by the Democrats. That's the headline that I saw. What I want to tell you about is that that has to do with the PPP, the payroll protection program that is was on the show on Tuesday. Really important if you're a sole proprietor, gig worker, or a small business owner. There are two programs right now that are there to help you get through and essentially are forgivable or low interest loans. The PPP, that payroll protection thing, is a forgivable loan if you use it for payroll, meaning to pay yourself. The E-IDL, E-I-D-L, which is a, a bunch of silly words they put together in a long row, is really a very, very low interest loan to give you capital to get your business running again. Two important programs. What they were going to do today, the bill was, it's an extension of the CARES Act, C-A-R-E-S Act, which is what gave us, um, which is giving us the 
stimulus checks. Really, it's an advance on next year's income tax refund. So it's just getting your money ahead of time. And then these um, two loan programs, the, what they were trying to do is extend it and add more money. Where we hit a block and where the Democrats did not vote to move forward is that the, the Democrats were asking for more money and they wanted to get $100 billion for hospitals and, and $150 billion for state and local governments. The Democrats were trying to make sure that that was included in the bill and the Republicans didn't want to do that as they're saying right now. So it got hung up. I don't think it's going to be hung up forever. It just means these idiots need to keep talking to each other. I'm sorry, idiots, but it just, it does, it does make one tired, doesn't it? They have to go back and work this out and they will, I, I know they will go ahead and add more money to the PPP and the IDA loans. It's too important to keep our economy going. We've got to keep cash moving. And those of us that are sheltering, it may, you know, it's almost the middle of the month. It's going to be rent due and mortgages due again before we know it. And property taxes in California are due right now. I don't know what they are in other states, but we were due, we're due tomorrow. Um, luckily, there's an extension regionally. You need to go check on this. There is a regional exception where you're not going to pay late fees this year. So, but please check your local um, county where you pay your property taxes to make sure that's true for your county. If you're in California, it, check your own states where you where that applies. Uh, if you have property taxes that you pay. Anyway, I wanted to give you the update on those loans because they're so important. And if you are a sole proprietor or a gig worker and you're not taking advantage of this, shame on you and shame on me because I've got to do it too. But they're gonna. I know they'll add more money. The last thing has to do with smoking and vaping. And I, uh, people that know me well know that I used to do the occasional vaping and I would do it not with nicotine, but with the more advanced medicinal marijuana as we call it. But it's important to know that vaping like cigarettes, like any kind of smoking, like smoking weed is really gonna tear up your lungs and it is absolutely dangerous to be doing right now. I believe there was research around cigarettes that if you, as soon as you stop smoking, your lungs start to repair. Well, stop. Just stop right now. The world is all about edibles. Go get some edibles if you need to cope. And, you know, for me, it's my glass of wine. I don't drink that much wine, but I like an edible. So whatever it is that helps you cope, if you're in a state with legalized marijuana, please stop smoking. Your lungs are too important and we cannot have them be vulnerable. We don't want COVID to get a hold of those lungs if you've been smoking. So that is your, um, that's my soapbox issue of the day, which is please, please take care of yourself and uh, switch to something that's, uh, Chris would tell you, switch to wine. That would be her advice. <laughs> She's nodding her head. That would be what Chris would tell you to do. So with that, uh, upcoming guest tomorrow, we have an amazing guest coming. Her name's Andrea Davis. She's a bereavement counselor. She was brought to us by Donna, my favorite fan. And uh, I, I look forward to talking to her. She's going to be talking about how we're going to be grieving and we are already grieving in a different way. We aren't able to grieve in the way where we can rush in and hug the person who's experiencing the loss. I know I'm, we, there's a death in my extended family, not my immediate family, my extended friend family. And I feel terrible because I want to go see Uncle Steve and I can't go see Uncle Steve. It's just, that's not a thing we can do right now. So. It's even worse in the places that are getting hit hard by COVID where people go in the hospital and you're, they're never to be seen again. And in some cases, I'm hearing stories where they don't even know where the bodies are because they went on those refrigerator trucks and they've got to 
dispose of the bodies. So it's a horrible time. Like we've never, this is just horrible. Uh, it's like losing someone in a war or something. You'd be like, are they really dead? Did that really happen? So, so Andrea's going to be talking to us about that tomorrow and some ways to take care of ourselves and the people we love through these terrible times. I believe, I have to confirm, but I believe Shelly Carpati will be here on Tuesday to talk about resumes and how to do some self-assessment to job hunt in these weird times and how we can start to transition to jobs that might be more available and relevant right now. So I'm, I just have to confirm, but I've worked with her before and she's a recruiter, so she knows how it's done. And I look forward to having her on the show. And then of course, Laurel will be here to talk about how branding happens. If you ever wonder about the name, the Apple name, and why was Apple the name? And how the heck was that gonna work? And now we all say it and we all know we're either talking about the fruit or the company. So Apple did a great job. Okay, they've spent a lot of money on brand, I get it. But the point is, I know what the Apple story goes when Steve said Apple, people were like, are you crazy? That's too simple of a name. We're gonna talk about naming with Laurel. All right, that is the Jen's Clearly on Speed rundown of what's going on so far. <laughs> I am now going to transition and chillax because my um, Sacramento bestie, who I met since D'Angelo was arrested, my, my very good friend, Chris Pedretti, is here. She has been a vital part of uh, my healing when it comes to D'Angelo's arrest and then finding other survivors. I think anybody who knows my story knows in Ventura, we were essentially isolated. We didn't really know what happened to my dad and Charlene in, in their crime. We didn't have a lot of details until the crimes were connected to what was happening in Northern California with the East Area Rapist. Chris was number 15. Chris, I know you're going to tell us, but um, I'm going to take you off mute to make sure you can uh, talk. But you were number 15, I think, with the East Area Rapist, and but a wee child. And she's, you're going to tell us your story, but I know for me, meeting you and the, and the beautiful home you provided, the care you provided all of us, I still talk about your yard to everyone I meet because your, your home and your yard are just ah, the most healing place on earth. So um, everybody welcome Chris Pedretti, and I'm going to let you talk now. Chris, go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, thank you. Um, so actually, I was number 10, not 15. 10, 10 okay. About 10, 15, what's the difference, right? This monster still entered our home. And, and um, we still go by numbers, which is god-awful to me. Yeah, actually, when we first met at the arraignment, we were all very nervous, and we didn't know each other. And so the only way we could introduce was to say, hi, I'm Chris, I was number 10. Hi, I was Phil, I was number one. And I think we did that for the first couple of times that we met until we got to know each other. But that was the only thing that we knew about each other. So. Isn't, that, isn't that, yeah, that's why I, I often refer to the Cat Winners and Keith Comos book as the Beanie Baby Handbook because I literally would come home and like write your names by the numbers. Because, uh, yeah, it was crazy for me, because we're just Ventura. Like, it wasn't, we'd, I mean, I guess we have a number, but I never thought about it. Like, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. I actually still do that. If I hear of somebody or met somebody, I, I still will, because I want to be able to know not so much all the details, but how he progressed as he went through. It gives me a way to kind of understand, you know, although we were all terrorized by this man, we didn't all have the same experience. So. Right. 
Okay, so, well, I guess um, you would ask me to talk about my experience, and I'm going to just start with, um, it was the most terrifying experience um, that I could ever imagine, and I had just turned 15 uh, in September, and I uh, was raped on December 18th, and um, my whole world as I knew it crashed. <laughs> I just, I, um, I didn't have any reference to what was going on. I did not know I was going to be raped. I was maybe a young 15 year old, but I had no idea what was happening. So um, if you are comfortable, I can maybe go into a little bit of the story of exactly what happened. Okay. Yeah, and I want to make sure people understand, you may have heard Chris on Man in the Window, Paige St. John's fantastic podcast series, which you should listen to if you have it. But honestly, the idea of your home prior, like you lived in this home where it was sweet and innocent and you were a church girl, as one might think of it, right? It, it was a very, you were very protected. You weren't some... You weren't a brat like me who was out making out trouble. You were a good, good kid who didn't know about a lot of adult world. No, I didn't. And I actually had been in a Christian school and in eighth grade, I thought, okay, so now it's time for me to go out and share my goodwill and, you know, be a testimony to others, unknowing that in three months, you know, that was that was not what I wanted. You know, I prayed, Hey, I'm ready for whatever you want. I'm ready for this. And, um, I don't think I've been to church since. So still working through that part, but anyways, um, so I was, uh, at home and I was supposed to go to a Christmas dance that night and my parents were going to a Christmas party and my sister was at work. Um, here's a flashback who remembers Montgomery wards. I do. I do. <laughs> that will tell your age. <laughs> Anyways, that's where she worked. And uh, she was off work at nine o'clock. They left like at six o'clock. So no big deal. And my friend Lori came over. We were, you know, hanging out doing what 15 year olds do. I'll be talking about boys or whatever. And her mom called and said that she had to come home and make Christmas cookies. And so she left. No big deal. Yeah. Call me after you're done or, you know, we'll get back together. And so I put a pizza in the oven and I decided oh, I'll play the piano, I'll practice. And as soon as I sat down and I started playing, I heard a noise and um, I stopped and I listened and I thought, hmm, I said, you know, I always hear noises when no one's home. So I continued to play. And it was very shortly after that, maybe seconds, that um, uh, a man came around and held a knife to my throat and whispered very close and rough in my ear, you know, if you, if you scream, if you move, I'll kill you. And I will tell you at that point, I froze, um, literally froze. I felt like, you know, I wasn't cold obviously, but it was like froze with a, with a, a stab of fear going through my body. I don't know how to explain that. Yeah, just like that cold, that, that, yeah, I think I, I mean, I, I'm getting shivers right now listening to you tell it, but yeah, of course you froze. Of course you did. Right. And, but I could still hear him. And I think that, um, you know, at that point, I really felt 
almost like a robot. You know, I followed directions. I had, I didn't have feelings. Um, that one big thing of fear that went through me, that was it. And after that, I just followed directions. And, um, and it's interesting because in my uh, therapy that we'll talk about later, uh, we do a lot of tools like brain spotting or EMDR, and I still can't get past the piano bench, you know, in, in really living it because I think that my body just went into complete protective mode. Okay. And I'm going to tell people I've got a blog on brain spotting that I'll link to in, in this blog because that's it's such an important way to try to go back to those times. But to hear you say you can't get past it because I've done brain spotting and there are certain areas where I'm like, nope, not going. I just know it's not happening. Like I will not go any further. Thank you. So I can understand that what that's like when you're just like, oh, I can't do it. Well, I literally can't do it. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to. I yeah. mean, it would be, but my body just, uh, I, the way she explained it is, you know what? Your, your brain protects you for a reason. And if it's continuing to protect you, don't fight it. Don't fight. Okay, good. When it's ready. It's ready. So I'm like down with that. I'm like, good, okay. Um, so, and I know that most of you probably know his, his MO, you know, so I won't tell you how, I won't tell you every time he told me he was going to kill me. I'm going to guess it was probably 25, 30 times throughout that hour and a half. Um, so from there, I know that I was taken into the utility room and he tied my hands. Interesting with my sister's shoelaces. Obviously, I didn't know that then, but, um, and then pushed me through the garage, through the backyard, um, and as I was walking along the, um, the, the stepping stones, I actually fell. He pushed me, and I fell, and uh, he helped me up and asked me if I was okay. Very interesting. How yeah. we, like, because I'm imagining, I think it's really important because I'm looking at an adult, but the thing is like, I'm imagining a 15 year old girl. So you're young, really young. And now he's taking you outside. You're being told repeatedly he's going to kill you. Your hands are bound in front of you or behind you. Behind. So you fall down, you fall down landing on your body then. Yes. And, he, and then he says, are you okay? Yes. Okay. And <laughs> And when that happened, my blindfold slipped off a little bit. And I was terrified. And so I told him, because I wasn't gagged yet, you know, um, my blindfold, you know, is off. And um, I kept my eyes really shut tight. <laughs> I, I just, you know, anyways, he put it back on and told me if I'd seen him, you know, the word, I'm going to kill you. So from there, um, he took me to the picnic bench. And remember, it's December 18th, so it's kind of cold outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he, um, I don't exactly remember how this went, but I know he cut off my shirt and my bra. And then, I don't know, somehow my pants came off. I'm not sure. Right. And, uh, and then he threw them in the neighbor's yards. <sighs> Strange. And uh, and it's huh? cold. It's cold because you're up here in Northern California, right? Yes. So I was naked, basically, and he left me there in the backyard. 
as he went back into the house and said he'd be checking on me every 10 seconds. So he spent a lot of time in the house and I spent a lot of time in the backyard. And when he was uh, ready to rape me, he would come get me and he brought me to, uh, this one I remember, the other two I don't. It was a total of three times, but he, he actually raped me on my parents' bed. And that was very weird. And this is gonna sound uh, funny for all of you that were older at the time, but I didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> well, no, I mean, okay, so I, I kind of knew that because I know you and I know your childhood, but yeah, you wouldn't have known what he was doing. I mean, no. no. And he just, yeah, it was very strange. Um, and then he would take me back outside and then take me back inside, rape me again, take me outside. And then the third time he did leave me in there, but it was very, um, uh, it, it was very strange because I knew the way my living room furniture was uh -huh. and he had lit the fireplace. It wasn't lit before. And, um, and then he laid me next to it. Well, I know the couch isn't near the fireplace. Right. So I, I thought he had caught the couch on fire. Oh, shoot. And, <laughs> yeah, and that I was going to um, die. So I didn't die, and it did. I, I finally figured it out. Um, and and he, you said he did end up gagging you at some point? Oh, yeah, in the backyard, yeah. I got gagged, um, every, you know. So he, so he cared that you fell and are you okay? But yeah. sitting out there cold and then cold and then cold as he did this weird circus act of bringing you in and out and in and out. Is he the freak? Yeah, it's just like this bizarre terrorism and yet that weird are you okay? That, that was, that's the part that throws me is the are you okay? Because everything else fits his brutality. Actually, I've heard on others that he has done, I don't want to say acts of kindness because he's not capable of that, but he does throw in some uh, sentiments that you would not expect from him. Yeah. yeah. And so, and you're a kid, and you, I know, first of all, even being in my parents' room, like, even being on my parents' bed would have been, without them there, would have been, like, uh, kind of a... Right. Kind of a don't do that. So, yeah, you must have had, I mean, it's no wonder the feelings you must have had of both what you knew to be normal and now you're breaking those rules of the house. And then right. your terror of being killed. And was he wearing the stocking cap? Could you tell? Or was he not I, covered? Um, remember at that moment, I was just somewhere else. I have no idea. Okay, so when he came up, you just heard him talking to you at the piano in my ear um you know well, when i read the police report i did say and i don't remember what it was what color uh jacket he was wearing and ski mask so oh, interesting okay because yeah you would have maybe maybe peripherally seen something but i get it yeah after that i understand compliance 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 because you just first of all that's who you were as a kid you were taught to be compliant and second of all yeah this this is happening and Really, they tell you the number one thing in any of these situations is to survive. Survive first, yeah. which clearly your 15-year-old brain did. But to think that the house was on fire, the couch was on fire, yeah, I would have lost it. He did not mean that. I think that he did that as I learned later, way later, after he was arrested and I started reading books. 
uh, you know, that he liked that, that glow of the light, you oh, know, nice for him. Yeah. You know, how he covered TV. So I'm sure that's why he moved the couch. So you'd have a better view, but, um, you know, I didn't know that then. And he was with, you said 90 minutes. This happened for the, the period of 90 minutes. Oh, or not? It was a couple hours, a couple hours. Okay. Yeah. Um, where was every, nobody came home? Like, no, because my parents had just left and it yeah. was like seven and then he was gone. And then my sister was off work by nine. So, uh, you know, it could have been an hour and a half to two hours. I don't know. Right. I, I don't remember, but I do know that I, uh, like we said, I was very Christian based then. And I remember seeing Jesus loves me in my head <laughs> to try to get the time just to move on. Um, I did try to move a couple of times. The first time he was right there. Like I, and I've heard this of other cases. He must just be there. Watch, at you. Watching you. Just, yeah. So gross. That's <laughs> and, gross. I know it's almost grosser. I mean, it's like, oh, because it's so, you're so helpless. You're so not in control and he's just a hundred percent there. Yeah. So, <sighs> so again, he told me he'd kill me if I moved again. I probably waited another 10 minutes, 15, and I tried it again. He was still there. And then I probably waited maybe a half hour or so. And, uh, and then I thought, I don't care if I die. Like, this is terror. This is just, honestly, at that moment, I was ready to accept death. I, I remember that. Like, I don't care. I can't do this anymore. And, uh, yeah, as you lay in the living room, and you were worried about fire, but I guess you figured out it wasn't getting hotter, right? Like, okay. And then does your sister come home or what happens? No, not yet. Um, oh. when, when he, uh, that third time, I said, I don't care what's going to happen. Well, thankfully he was gone. So I was able to get up somehow and hop. And, and you know, this is where I think when you are in a position of, uh, I don't know, emergency, your brain does take over. I hopped over to make sure the door was unlocked so somebody could come in. And then I figured out how to use the phone. I don't know how I did that because I was tied and everything, but I did. Um, and I did not call the police. That thought never came to my mind. I called my best friend. And today it makes me chuckle a little bit because when her sister answered the phone, I said, hi, is Lori there? Oh my you God. Know, <laughs> of course, but I mean, you're 15, right? Like, that's... Yeah, not funny. Yeah. And then Lori got on the line. I said, get a knife. I've been raped and bring your dad. And uh, their whole family came over and I'm standing there still tied and naked. And uh, they untied me and uh, they called the police. And then from there... Um, my sister was called and told to come home, but they were closing. So it must've been like eight forty-five or something like that. So and they then, stayed with you. I, I, so it's so funny how my brain filled in. Like they got blankets, they hugged you, they held like whatever that needed to be. Yes. Thank God. Okay. And they probably just horrified. Like they just had to, you know, this doesn't happen. Right. Well, no. And if they're like most parents, you feel like their daughter too. So they're just... Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure just beside themselves. Yeah. And then and then and then this whole other world starts of law enforcement that I know so well, law police and reports and 
this weird thing. Did, did you, you didn't meet Carol Daly when you no. were a victim. She hadn't really started yet, right? She did. She, she did. Okay. And when I met her, it was funny because I said, you know, I don't remember meeting you. You don't look familiar to me. And she said, I don't remember meeting you either. She said, I don't know where I was. So it's Christmas. Maybe she was on vacation. You know, who knows? But uh, I do know her now. And that's, she's a godsend. She so, is. I know. You two, you two are the, the, the good duo. I love the both of you. It's just you've done so much together. There's, you guys were supposed to meet. Whatever that is, it was supposed to happen, the two of you. Exactly. So uh, anyway, so then the police came. Uh, my parents came later. And um, I did not see them at all until it was time to go to the hospital. And uh, apparently my living room was full of people, but it was me. I told them I did not want to see them. And uh, so when I went to the hospital, you know, back then, we weren't given priority. So I think we probably waited there two hours, three hours. Oh, my God. And we didn't talk on the way there. We didn't talk there. Um, when I had the, uh, what do you call that? The rape, rape kit, the rape, rape kit. Right. Um, so when you say we, you and your parents didn't talk. Me and my parents and my sister, we were all there and no one spoke. Just yeah. silence. Silence. I did the rape kit by myself. My mom did not go in with me. And, um, and then we went home. No one spoke, which started the whole thing of silence for me and my family. Which became, yeah, the silence, I mean, to me, the big theme of your story and, and some of why you're doing the work that you're doing now, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get to, is that silence really was the, the story of your family. Just everything. Yeah. You Up until my parents died, we didn't talk about it. So their 15-year-old is to me wounded even though you couldn't see the the external scars just broken from this experience forced to have an experience she wasn't even prepared for even as an adult because you didn't even know about all that stuff and what was going on yeah, like <laughs> god forbid they're going to talk about bodies or anything yeah how, you know god, we don't want to talk about sex on top of everything else which this wasn't sex but it's a sexual act right so and and you're just left with silence for how long did this last well, the next day, um, my sister was had to work, and my dad uh, told her to call in sick and to tell nobody. And then the next day after that, I went to church camp and acted like nothing happened. And then, um, you know, five days later, it was Christmas, and we just had a normal Christmas, and it lasted forever. We we never talked about it. We did move. Um, but not given a reason why we were moving. I mean, obviously I know that now, but we moved and uh, yeah, I, silence was there. And from then on, you know, you talked about you being a bratty kid. Well, I caught up. Okay. <laughs> I, found, I found coping mechanisms that were not very, uh, you know, healthy. Um, I went back to the, I, I left the high school I was at because he said he saw me there. I went back to- Oh, that just, yeah, that, I, yeah, that creep factor, that, that fact that he 
kept track of his people. He stalked people ahead of time. He kept track of you afterwards. He called some victims afterwards. Yeah, that, and you, were you reading anything in the paper yet about, did you know you were East Area Rapist yet? Because you're just number 10, so it's really early in this. Yeah, I, I don't think they publicized it till number five. Okay. And, um, but, you know, going back to where you were saying how they call people and whatnot, it's interesting, it's just my own theory, but uh, he never went in my room. He went in my sister's room and took her shoelaces, and he took a picture of her friend and her necklace. Um, nothing of mine, my picture was moved off the wall, but uh, years later, 10, 15 years later, Robin got, that's my sister, got a, uh, uh, obscene call in the middle of the night and I just always wondered did he think I was her I mean his, yeah, his well, were not mine and you guys aren't that many years apart right two and a half yeah okay so easy easy Mis yeah. mistake yeah plus then your sister has to live with that guilt too oh my god yeah Robin if you're listening sorry <laughs> oh no <laughs> none of a, this is on none of none of the victims not a, no and and I know Robin's there for you so yes she is so Absolutely. so yeah you know my years I uh, I lived like it didn't happen um, I never thought PTSD would be something that I would have I just thought it was people coming back from war but you know, now that I look back, I can totally see my behaviors. I've had, uh, I'm on my third marriage, a very happy marriage. My first two weren't. Um, I just, uh, I would quit a job. One time I was um, on a conference call. My dad had just died and I was kind of stressed. And they, I don't know, they said something that I didn't like. And I put that phone on hold and I walked out and I never came back. Wow. And yeah, I, and I had a few instances like that, which I didn't understand why I did this stuff. I just did it. But after more therapy, I understood like, yeah, we got to work on those coping skills. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, so, okay. So we go, we go pretending like same, same 38 to 40 years that, right. you know, we've all had this weird journey that things unwind and it was this, this crazy road we've all been on but there have been moments did your did your parents ever get it did they ever come no. back to you and and ever say i'm sorry we kind of screwed that up or nope never a word and crazy as it sounds me and my sister never spoke about it until after he was caught it was really ingrained into us that this is not to be spoken of so, and could you talk about it at your best friend's house? No. Okay. And my friend kept coming. My best friend stopped coming to my house. Yeah, I get it. It's kind of one of those irrational fears, right? It happened there, so you got to stay yeah. away. It's moved. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So okay. So we come to today to, to the new world that all of us changed since 2018 and the rest of DM. But in the two years I've known you, I've watched you change a ton. Yeah. From, not so much from the good girl, because I know that sass was there, but, but the um, more introverted woman 
to the more, hey, I own this and I'm going to start to speak up woman. Right. Which has led you to some new purpose in your life, right? Yeah. Tell us about that. So what are you doing now? So right now, um, I had this, since it happened, maybe, you know, a couple months after I was like, okay, I, I can now talk about this and I can be the first person to relate what it's like to hold something in. You know, it's not just you don't talk about it. It's there and it's in there and you find ways to work around it. And if you're lucky, it's a day that you don't think about it. Um, or like myself, you develop these crazy things that helps you not think about it. Like I had to be busy all the time. That's why I have that yard I have. There is no time that I would sit down still. Um, and and it's not, it's not a good, I mean, the result's really pretty, but you know, you're just always spinning. And so I felt like I understand there's so many people that have experiences, you know, and, and sexual assault is not just this stranger danger thing, you know, like it could be your sibling, it can be your neighbor, it can be a teacher that you trusted, you know, sexual assault I, I just, the more I learn, the more I'm horrified, like there's just no boundaries, you know? And, and I thought, I get it. I get the shame, which I never thought I had. I remember the first time I saw my therapist, I told her I have no shame, but apparently I had shame, right? Because I was taught not to talk about it and feeling that people are going to look at you differently if you talk about it or, um, if I start to say something to you, Jen, and you, your eyes look up or you look uncomfortable or you shift, I'm going to drop it right there. We're done because I know that you're not going to like me anymore. So, um, so with that said, I, I really wanted to do something. So I thought, I'm going to start a nonprofit. I'm going to do this great thing. Well, that's really hard to do. And I'm not really equipped to do that. So I kind of like scaled it back down and back down. And I ended up, which was perfect timing with this COVID-19 um, is starting a face group uh, for people of uh, sexual assault. So it's called sexual assault survivors. It's time to tell your story. It's and a, it's a private group. So I'm, it's, private. I'm absolutely going to have this in the blog so people can join your group and get okay. support. Um, but it is a private group and Chris takes a look at who's trying to come in and you know what this and what the story is. So yeah. the folks know that. Yes, definitely. Um, and you know it's really healing for me and it's healing for them because i know like i just said i know how scary it is to say it i mean i was uh terrified when and i'm going to go backwards a little bit if that's okay yeah i was terrified when he was caught because well first i had myself convinced it didn't happen and then if it did those times when reality came in uh I knew he was dead. And so here I am in LA in a hotel on a work business trip. And, you know, I, I get that call from Carol Daly and I'm just frozen again. And, you know, my husband offered to fly out to get me because I was back at base and I cried all the way home on the airplane. I feel so sorry for those people around me. <laughs> no, it, well, it was, it was really, it was a knockover that arrest disrupted me more than I expected. And I don't have a body memory. I always say that I don't have a body memory. I just have a tragedy. But I know how 
much it, my life has not been the same since. It just hasn't. Chloe right. or Ziva, right? It just an arrest oh, changed please. things. And and as a funny, uh, tell me if I'm going on too long, but no. just you know, my mom had passed away, and she was um, other than never accepting what happened. She was a wonderful, wonderful lady, and she I just loved her so much. And um, it was 2017, late 2017. The the Me Too thing was going. That's right. And I told somebody because they were talking about it. And I was like, well, I am a me too. So me too. <laughs> Wasn't very graceful. I just blurted it out. And uh, then when I came back in February, uh, my husband saw a newspaper and in there was a story he thought I should read. And um, he said, hey, I think there's something you should read. I was like, yeah, he loves the newspaper. I love the internet. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Was, okay. And then later he went out and he actually got it out of the trash can and he said, no, I just really think you should read this. Like, okay, I'll do it later. And then it was like curiosity kills the cat, right? But satisfaction brings it back. So it had to pick it up. And here was a picture of Jane Carson Sandler, huge picture of her telling her whole story on the paper. And I was like, holy shit. Like, you're not supposed to talk about this. <laughs> you know, my rules were, you don't talk about this. And here you are published in a paper. And I, I, I can still feel the shock. Like, shame on you, you shouldn't be doing this. Because I thought that was the rule for everybody, not just me. And um, so anyways, after I calmed down, I called the editor and asked her to give me a call. And she did. And uh, so now we're in the uh, end of February, maybe. And she called me and she talked about the books. I said, what book? I know. I didn't know either. Like, there's books. <laughs> what are you talking about? And she said, "Do you want me to read you your story?" I was like, "Okay." And that probably wasn't the smartest thing for me to say. So I'm on the other lines or on the other end. Steve's at work, and she's reading me all about what happened to me. And I'm like, well, "Ah, wow!" And you know, I asked for it. I mean, it was short. I don't know what book it was in, but no, I just. It's to be, I've had the same experience when I've discovered these books and then read a story about my own life where I'm like, uh, how'd that happen? How are you telling my story when like weird? And how come I didn't know it was there? So anyway, so at the end of that conversation, she said, you know, uh, Margaret Wardlow is, she was more your age. You might have more things in common with her. So she called Margaret and asked Margaret to call me. Now we're mid-March, kind of, and um, or maybe later. And so then Margaret calls me, and she said, oh, wasn't Carol Daly an angel? She was so great. I said, I don't know her. She goes, well, I'm going to call her. And so, um, and Carol came over, and that's when wow. I said, I don't know you. And she said, I don't know you either. But she brought my police report my husband and my sister were there and she says i i don't know what else i'm here to do i just want you to know i i'm sorry this happened and i'm here for you and um so she left and i read that police report out loud to my sister and my husband very emotional because remember robin and i haven't we've never talked about it you've never your sister this is the hard one for me because it's like 
I thought that's why people had sisters. I don't have a sister. I'm like, aren't this what sisters for? But you weren't talking about it. No, because we were banned from talking about it. So after I read the report, tears and everything, Robin's like, oh my God, that really happened. I thought that they made that up. I read something like that on the internet. So she was looking at it, but she just knew not to talk to me about it. Three weeks later, he was caught. That is like my mom preparing me. You know, I was like, oh, I don't even know what I would have done. I thought he was dead. I didn't think he was around. And if I had got that call without having that three weeks before experience where Steve knew what happened, my sister knew what happened, we were all on the same page. I had already told my kids, you know, I had called oh, them. Yeah, kids. I forgot. Time. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. So I told them in that three week period. And so, um, the day he was caught, I wasn't so off guard. And that's why I said that that timeline I wanted to share is just so amazing. And uh, I don't I don't know what I would have done. No, I know it's it's interesting because I had the story last week where Deb's Deb Domingo's mom clearly moved heaven and earth to make sure she got a message through just a guest on this podcast. And now here we are, you have another one where a mom has come through from wherever and got the ball rolling. And, yep. and what I think is so beautiful about the story is that this time with the arrest, your whole family was ready to talk. Like they, yeah. they were there and they weren't afraid to talk about it. And your kids and the whole thing, like, no, we're all going to do this together now. Yeah. What I don't even think I would have done had I been told that. And now I also have to tell my kids because I'm going through all this you know, stuff. So anyway, so back to the, the site that we wanted to talk about. Um, I just feel like, you know, my heart wants to open um, for people that want to share. It's for the right reasons. And um, I do want to say, I think that I, I, I want people to come join my site, but that is not therapy. Um, right. okay. You know, because each experience is our own. And and you really need a trauma therapist to help you through and to help you find out, you know, what your next steps need to be and to help guide you so that you don't go too far too fast. And um, I went every single week for a year and a half and I'm in a really good spot now, which I feel through it's time to tell your story. I don't feel you're able to become free until you can tell your story. And it is scary as hell. You are so afraid to tell it. And after it's out, the world didn't crash down. It's still turning. You know, you're still going to make dinner. You're still going to go to bed that night. Everything's going to be the same, except now you've got a safe place. And um, right after, you know, when I met the survivors, uh, some of us, we would be on the phone for two hours talking about stuff like they were crazy, like really detailing, but we just needed to work through it. and. Uh, she knew I would be there. I knew she would be there. And we were not, um, we weren't guarded. And the other survivors, and I know, I think you wanted to talk about that, like were a life saver and they, it was just amazing. I think that's, you know, I, I, I've heard where you mean that we've found each other and that we support each other and anybody who hasn't joined the group yet, should the survivors of D'Angelo but the thing is that it it really is it, it's hard to put into words but it's you really find out that you're so capable and that this stuff that 
really when it's all peeled back, all we have is each other and this heart connect is everything. And, and you are so good. I mean, I listen to you all the time because your ability to empathize is extraordinary. I can get it and I get it intellectually, but I often watch you for cues because you really read the room very well. And also, you're very good at knowing when somebody else's voice needs to be heard. And while I'll advocate for that, the extrovert in me sometimes won't shut up. So I absolutely look to you for clues because you, you, you see the people who often are used to being unseen. Right. Yeah. That's a gift you have. You, you absolutely see those who may not have been heard. I mean, Margaret, Jane, and I are always going to be talking because that's what we're good at, right? But the, there's a whole bunch of people, and, and you know, we have one of our victims who's really isolated now, and she's a little strung out. And so, yeah, take we need to be quiet and listen to her because it's just she's just processing differently, and she's had a rough go of it. So right. you're so good at hearing the, hearing the voice of someone who can't speak. Thank you, and you know, unfortunately, I, I think I'm really good at that because I was the person who couldn't speak, and and I and I got it, and. You know, when they were all at my house that first time, you remember yeah. that? And we were all standing together. Um, I remember it, it was a very surreal, not in a good way moment. He was in her house and her house and her house and her house and her house. I mean, I could keep going. And he yeah. fucked up. Can I say that? Sorry. No. Her life. Sorry about that. Her life and her life and her life and he killed her parents her parents and just to be surrounded by one-fifth of the people was overwhelming right like wow this guy this guy right that, that's all I can say this guy and that's important because we are only a percentage that have come together there's all the ransackings in Visalia. I mean, that's in somebody's home. Just that, you're, you're right. That, I mean, I get chills again, but the idea of this man in your home, just so many homes and so much damage. And it's true, when I look at him in court, I just look and go, he doesn't look like the monster that he is. He, I, I just so needed him to look like some kind of god-awful Lucifer-looking thing. And instead... He's just this gross, despicable looking man. But yeah, he was in all these homes and, and young people and older people and murder and rape and everything in between. He did, by the way, anybody wondering, oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of other crimes he did in between. Everything you could imagine, he did it. Yeah, but you know, it's at that same time where I'm just like, is this, you know, almost looks like I was looking into another life. Uh, this, how is this possible that all these people are in my backyard? <laughs> like that, oh my, people I never thought I would ever see in my entire life that I'd be taken to this grave are standing in front of me. But those women, you included, standing in front of me, we survived and we're strong and we're capable and we're successful. And this is a very, very dark shadow in our life, but our life didn't stop. You know, we kept on moving. And, you know, for yourself and Deb Domingo and others whose parents or loved ones were murdered, you know, you're their representative and, and you are walking forward for them. And so therefore they are still living also through you. And um, 
I don't know, the experience was horrifying and terrible. And if I could make it not happen, I would, but it did happen. And so now is the time to make the best of the experience and, and move forward. So I want to, I, I am part of the group and I want to in, um, encourage people who are looking for a way to just start to talk. Chris, Chris's um, guidance and facilitation and advocacy in that group is everything. You will find your people. It's the sexual assault survivors. It's time to tell your story on Facebook. I will have a link in the blog. I want to make sure people know how to reach out to you. But this, I, Chris, you know, from a woman who didn't talk about it, I, I can't tell you how proud I am that you're like on video and telling your story right now. And it's just this evolution of you that I've had the privilege to see in the past 24 months. So, so congratulations, girl. And just one more thing on the site. You don't have to be a, a victim of sexual assault. You could be a sibling. You could be someone that was in that community and was afraid. You can be anybody who wants to be supportive of others and, and would like to get some kind of support because it is, we all know this, it's not just the assault victims that are victims. It is right. when they've touched, it's their community. It's, you know, it's our children. It's, I don't know. I'm just amazed at, at how big sexual assault is being that we're supposed to be so progressive and knowing what's right and wrong. And we say, well, that was the seventies. Well, it really hasn't changed. We just hide it better. Yeah. And actually with more folks um, staying at home, we know the chance of abuse is increased, which is yeah. awful. Uh, people are alone. People don't have the normal societal protections they have in place. So we all need to take care of each other. Look for signs that if somebody's in trouble, we probably, we should probably have a way that we could have, you know, I, I know in Europe, they're doing a thing where you can make a phone call and that means you need help, but it's a, it's a code word. I don't know if we have one in the United States, but yeah, really look out for each other. And I love that the, the site is also for allies because don't come in and, and blame. You come in to understand and support and be there for one another. That's what it is. You are not to blame. In right. no way does anyone ever ask to be hurt. It just, that doesn't happen. Okay, Chris, we don't have questions today. I'm so happy you're here. I want to stop here because I feel like this is such a good place to stop. But I, I, I just, I, I'm just delighted. Like, we didn't even know each other two years ago. And here we are. Uh, and mostly missing you because you're just around the corner. And I can't get there because of this uh, shelter in place. But soon, soon, I hope we'll be together again. And we still have a court case, I hope, that we'll be able to pursue it, provided our perpetrator doesn't die from the virus. So, yeah. We've ever prayed for yeah. someone to live. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's so weird. We're in a weird position now. Yeah. So I would like to thank everybody for coming today. I'd like to thank you, Chris, for being here. And I'll see everybody tomorrow on the show. Thanks, Chris. Bye.